Kilda. Welcome to another episode of Skeezy D's. Um, I was thinking of doing another history episode today. Um, and this time I was thinking of doing something maybe a little bit different. Um, so I'll talk about the Thirty Years' War and some of the parallels between that and the modern day, and some of the some of, some like parts of the genesis of I guess the modern day. So, to understand the Thirty Years' War, you actually need to go quite far back. Um, you, you don't quite need to go back to the Council of Nicaea, um, but you do kind of need to go back to the post-Roman um, schism between Eastern Orthodox and Western heterodox, I guess, um, Christianity. So basically, roughly um, before 1000 AD, if you're looking at the division of Christianity, more or less everything to the east of uh, Germany is either pagan or orthodox Christian. Everything to the west is heterodox Christian. They revere the Pope. Um, they follow their practices for the Eucharist and all that sort of shit. Um, now, it's not a monolith. It doesn't, um, like, how to put this? It's not. It's not like all plain sailing. You've got some movements like Catharism, um, you've got um, the Hussites, um, and you've got these other groups that kind of come along. But you, you've also got like the French just making their own Pope. Um, but it's important to note that all of these like religious um, disagreements are still within the um, they're still within the umbrella of this like western Catholicism basically and they're also largely uh, movements of uh, well some of the, like some of them ha uh, like they're, they're either peasant movements or they're they're, they're movements by a few elites, not by a sort of a mass. Now, what starts to change in the 1500s is a, a couple things. Like, one of them is there's a growing middle class. So, after the collapse of the Roman Empire, most cities just, like, fucking vanished. Um, it was a real return to the countryside. But also... There wasn't 
like you needed a shitload of fucking of serfs in the field to make enough food to sustain people. Um, so most, most like an overwhelming number of people were in them fields um, growing them weeds and all that kind of thing. Now, what started to change was productive methods started to develop. Um, economies started to develop that especially the like the noble economy nobles had concentrated so much wealth that they wanted they basically wanted like luxuries to flex with and so the people they paid for those luxuries increasingly built their own economies um, and so you started to have the development of the true city um, so obviously you have places like Paui and London, um, which were big loci of this development. There was also, of course, um, Brussels, Bruges, um, Antwerp, um, and then there were all the cities in the Holy Roman Empire. So the Holy Roman Empire was basically like 70 Germanys, um, 70 different states of varying size some of them just a single city some of them um, small countries in their own right all sort of bound together under the under an emperor now they weren't a coherent political unit the emperor couldn't say do this and everyone would follow um, there were times where the emperor led um, mass movements of troops or mass political movements but these were always with the consent of those states at least a, a, a majority of those states um, so but yeah there's there's lots of cities in the Holy Roman Empire that are quite developed um, and one of the big changes that comes along is the printing press and the subsequent increase in uh, basically learning how to fucking read. Because um, a lot of these professions that the middle classes take on, uh, middle class, like the, the people who, who work making luxuries for these nobles, basically, and supporting that infrastructure, the people who live in cities. Um, what they they start to fucking they start to fucking read like you know uh, paper becomes cheaper, uh, printing books becomes cheaper. So they're like, why the fuck not? Reading's fun. Um, and then along comes the boy, the absolute boy, Martin Luther, the world's potentially definitely definitely one of the world's greatest shit posters I'm not going to say the first shit poster that was probably like um, Cato or Cicero um, but like one of the world's first shit posters um, Martin Luther essentially like his defining trait was he could never admit being wrong um, and he would always double down 
and just keep arguing his point until he was like proven right. Um, and this almost got him killed. But one of the big things is is he 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 railed against the Catholic Church, which at this point was a decrepit, um, decrepit um, organization. It was it was past its use by date. The expiration date long gone. Um, and so he, he puts these 95 theses in he gets called before the emperor to be like can you please give up your beliefs and he's like no I'm right um, thankfully for him he is protected by his like local prince without that he would have been fucking shanked and handed in for the significant amount of gold bounty that was on his head um but he wasn't so he basically just sent out he he wrote thousands of pamphlets he basically had like the most subscribed to twitter feed in western europe um and yeah you know he had all these ideas um all these points but essentially the biggest thing he did was he created uh, protestantism protestantism to like protest um or be against the catholic church now the problem was he assumed everyone was just going to be like, oh, this Martin Luther guy is so smart, we should all follow his ideas. Uh, that didn't happen. Um, people did not follow him. Um, so <laughs> you end up with this situation where you, you, you have this massive fracturing in the anti-Protestant movement. So the anti-Protestant movement is more popular than... Um, sort of Catholicism and the old guard mostly supported by the Habsburg Empire which at this point encompassed um, Spain and Germany and parts of Italy massive um, but the, the, the issue was for them is there were so many different like fucking denominations you had like the Calvinists you had the Huguenot um, you had just like the basic bitch Protestants fucking the English kingdom gets on it um, with Anglicanism um, and so they're not able to pre pre present this united front um, initially it's sort of like there's tension but not war um, I don't think war starts while Martin Luther's alive pretty sure um, there's some amazing actions I won't go into depth into the defenestration of Prague oh my god um, there's lots of weird Dutch names involved because Holland's kind of in the middle of this Holland like the Dutch are having this thing called the 80 years war where they're fighting the Spanish and they have like a I think it's a 10 year truce where they just they just both sit back and build up weapons while eyeing each other um the, 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 like a side note on the Dutch they've got like the funniest strategies in this war their strategies are basically like well we know how to pump water and we know how to build dikes so we'll just drown you and they like they do this to like eight different armies they just fucking drown them um, like yeah they're like fighting I, I think they were like fighting a siege outside of Holland 
and they just built a dike around the city and diverted like river water into it to like flood the city like absolute fucking psychos but so you end up with this war starting uh, basically like a, an, a, a protestant declares himself emperor and throws hands at the emperor emperor um hires this like huge mercenary army um led by a guy who was like pretty experienced in the um italian war gets thrashed has to run to holland um the guy who's running the protestant army he's still got this like huge army but he's like running out of money and he's not really fighting for anyone so he's basically just like he's sending out messages to like every major king in in europe being like hey you up want an army until eventually like this the fake emperor gets um frederick i think his name was um he gets he basically gets like some some fucking sugar baby money from the dutch because they want to start shit with the spanish who are supporting the holy roman emperor because the holy roman emperor is the habsburg the habsburgs run spain um and so he goes back into war they get defeated again the Danes invade because they're like, fuck yes, this is our time to get revenge on the Germans, they're splintered, we can build up this Protestant cause, blah blah blah, they get owned, they get destroyed, and like, the Protestants are like looking at the scoreboard, and it's like, five wins Catholic, zero wins Protestant, and they're like, fuck, 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 this is like, I think this is only like a couple years into the 30 years war, spoilers, um, a lot of the defeats they're facing are from this guy called Wallenstein who is like really fascinating because he's kind of like a minor noble but he's sort of the only person on the Catholic side who can actually organize an army and win battles so he ends up getting this like ridiculously outsized level of power um, which makes all the nobles pretty mad and he's like confiscating Protestant noble lands and consolidating them under himself there's a point where he could potentially have made a run for emperor himself uh but probably there wasn't the like um the backing to make that happen so yeah we have all of that and then we've got um so things are looking pretty dire for the protestants but then the like the giga chad himself um gustavus adolphus of sweden um comes down and just starts wiping the floor with the catholics um time and time again um essentially he he develops some level of combined arms one of his big innovations is every single soldier in his army is trained to operate cannons trained to fire a musket trained to ride a horse so at the drop of a hat his infantry can arm the cannons and start firing if they capture so like you know like a normal army captures cannons they're like oh sweet the the engineers are going to love this um i guess we'll wheel them back or we'll just hold these inert cannons if like cavalry from gustavus's adolphus's army captures enemy cannons they 
immediately turn them around and start firing them on the on the enemy. Um, if they like, if they capture horses, if infantry captures horses, they mount the horses and they start fucking charging people like cavalry. Um, it's terrifying. It's it's so extremely efficient. It, it's 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 very devastating. Um, but then, in a battle, I think his only battle against Wallenstein, um, the guy dies. He rides he rides into a battle to save some troops and gets shanked. Um, and so that's sort of like the last hope of the Protestants actually winning an overwhelming victory. Kind of dies with him. Um, because he was a singularly, 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 whatever, um, singularly, um, unifying force. Wallenstein, at this point, starts to, uh, dominate. And so, the Emperor has him killed. He's getting too big for his britches, um, he, yeah, he gets, he gets stabbed to death. At this point, he's, like, a fucking ancient man anyway, um, and then for the next, like, fucking 12 years or something, basically you've just got these, like, kind of aimless Protestant and Catholic armies moving around Germany, and at this phase of the war, they don't really fight each other, they just try to deal as much damage to their opponent's countries as possible. So they're raiding the lands, stealing all the food they can, um, burning down villages, and just kind of, like, moving around, fucking annihilating Germany. Um, now, there's also, like, France is also involved, I should point out. I don't recall if they ever, I think they might commit troops at some point, but mostly they're just shit-stirring. Um, Cardinal Richelieu is just shit-stirring on the sidelines. Um, but, What's really interesting is um, you have like this. You have you have France demonstrating like a powerful diplomatic state. You have the Habsburg Empire um, developing systems for um, like large-scale control. You have the Dutch developing new systems for raising capital. Um, debt and banking and all that kind of shit. Um, you have the the Germans getting involved in like mass mobilization. And you have like the Swedes developing this like combined arms warfare. Um, but none of them managed to kind of make it all click. But then, in the United Kingdom. Um, well, it wasn't united at that point, I guess. In, in England, um, they have their civil war. They they kick out their king, and then they like invite anyone in. There's like a whole thing going on there. But through the course of that civil war, through the development, because their middle class basically um, ends up with a lot more power than the middle classes on the continent, um, and they force concessions from the from the king from the executive. And they create the proto, the, the, the like primordial capitalist state in the ruins of their own civil war, which is sort of sparked by the Thirty Years' War. Um, but they draw all of these 
um, ideas, developments that the mainland had created with their own blood and they, they forge it into a weapon um, that they then use to, over the next hundred years, fucking um, conquer the world, only to be surpassed by their um, rebellious teenage son, the United States of America. Um, yeah, so that's probably pretty incoherent. It makes sense to me, though. So, yeah. <laughs>